Welcome to the Saturday Blitz Podcast with your tailgater crew, John Mitchell and Zach Bogalki. Welcome to the Saturday Blitz Podcast this week, everybody. I'm Zach Bogalki here with John Mitchell. Last week, we were not here with you, sorry to say, but we are back once again. And we have a really great show set up this week. You know, John, we're looking at the Big Ten returning. That's obviously the biggest story on our plate. And then, you know, we're rapidly seeing the number of undefeated teams dwindling in the Power Five. And, you know, it's been a long time since we've seen you know, no Power 5 champion finish the year undefeated. So let's see if that's possible in a really crazy 2020 season. And then obviously we need to go into our picks and everything. But before we do any of that, you know, we we were off last week, so haven't had the chance to talk to you for a while. How's life down there in Alabama? Uh, Everything's going pretty good. Uh, Happy to be back talking football with you as always. So yeah, everything's good in my neck of the woods. How about you? Ah, you know, uh, I'm still COVID negative, which is good. I recently, uh, had to take a second, uh, randomly selected, you know, asymptomatic test on campus and both of them have come back negative so far. So that's, that, you know, that's positive. Uh, lots of excitement here in the state college area, obviously with football returning this week and, you know, that's really, I think, where we need to start this week's podcast is didn't really know if it was going to happen. You know, we didn't know when we were putting together previews what kind of football at all was going to happen. And lo and behold, here we are. And the Big Ten is now returning for, for fall games a week before Halloween. So let's talk about it a bit. You know, pretty much everybody is up this weekend. We've got seven Big Ten games. Obviously, it's a Big Ten-only slate. Um, What game has you most jazzed out of the ones on the schedule so far in this Week 8 coming up in the Big Ten? Yeah, I mean, I I think, um, obviously, it's great to have Big Ten football back again. Uh, It's starting to you know, feel more complete around the country, uh, having the Big Ten back this week. So the, the game that, you know, obviously morbidly, I guess, Nebraska-Ohio State has that interest because I guess of how much complaining we saw from Nebraska when they were, you know, obviously really pu- probably the flagship program in the Big Ten to push to have a season. And then when the season goes, they get handed Ohio State to open. So... You know, morbid curiosity there. But in terms of the best pure football, you think Michigan and Minnesota uh, is that game. Um, a couple of old rivals meeting up. And, you know, really interesting to see if P.J. Fleck and Minnesota can build off of a spectacular uh, 2019 season for the Golden Gophers. And if they can, you know, start this 2020 campaign with a, you know, mini upset over Michigan. And, and what what – what are we going to see from the Wolverines in 2020 as well? You know, this kind of started to feel a little bit like a program that was sliding backward a little bit. And I think, you know, obviously I don't think Jim Harbaugh is on the hot seat this year, but you know, the pressure will be picking up in Ann Arbor if they drop their opening game. Oh yeah. Yeah. The sky is always falling in Ann Arbor. If a game is lost, especially that opener, I think you're right that that's probably the most, like, well-balanced matchup on the docket. Um, Obviously, you know, everybody here in Pennsylvania is excited to see what the Nittany Lions do against Indiana. And I think that could be a a scary little trap game. We've seen Indiana pull pull some interesting upsets in the recent past, so I would not discount that being an exciting game. And obviously the odds makers think so too because they, they're, you know, only favoring Penn State by six and a half points right now. So they, they obviously think it's going to be close too. One I'm a little suspicious about in terms of how close it is or how wide the spread is, is Illinois going to Wisconsin. 
Um, you know, the fact that Jack Cohn is out after having surgery, he's not going to be on the field for them. Jonathan Taylor's not there anymore. They're replacing a couple of key offensive linemen. Obviously, the defense should be as good as ever, but they were really good last year, and Illinois had their way with them, especially with the long ball in the passing game, you know. And so I, I'm surprised that the odds makers are giving the Badgers, tw- uh, you know, 20 points there. Um, it just it, it seems ludicrous to me that, that they would be favored by that much, especially given what we saw in Champaign last year. So, I, you know, it kind of leads me into my next question. Who do you think is the biggest upset risk of this opening weekend for the Big Ten? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I touched on a little bit in the last segment talking about Michigan and Minnesota, but to me it's, it's the Wolverines. They're, you know, about a three-and-a-half-point favor or so currently on the road against Minnesota, and that's going to be a really tough game. I'm, You know, I think Michigan's probably – that spread to me kind of feels backwards. I think I would probably favor Minnesota by three points in that game personally, uh, but that's just, I believe, Vegas really uh, grabbing the Michigan bias in the preseason because, you know, you, you – go into a season and the bigger name programs always get the a bump like that from from Vegas, from the pollsters and stuff like that. Specifically I think sometimes because fans expect it and, and whatnot. So I, I think the Wolverines are on upset alert. If you could call it an upset it won't feel like one, but in terms of the odds that would be the one I'd target. You know, I think that's that's a good choice there. I mean just given the odds, but they're both top twenty five programs right now. Honestly, you could probably flip those rankings, Michigan at 18, Minnesota at 21, just swap them, and it would feel just as, you know, right for the where these teams are at right now. Surprised, honestly, to see Michigan favored on the road in this, in this game, especially with what Minnesota has coming back. So, yeah, you know, I, I think it would be an upset, but I don't think it would feel that big. One that I'm also wanting to, to keep an eye on is Iowa-Purdue, um, especially since Rondell Moore has opted back in. Like, that skews that game a little bit in West Lafayette as well. You know, a home underdog playing an Iowa team that, just like Nebraska, was really itching to get back on the field. But it's not like Purdue wasn't either. You know, all of these players that decided to opt back in or who are you know never did opt out they want to play we understand that um and Purdue's going to be jazzed for that and I'm really curious to see what happens there in that game yeah I mean I I like that a lot I think you know I was got a brand new quarterback breaking in too so you never know what to expect with a new starter uh, and obviously there's been some controversy in that program all offseason long, so it's, I think, fair to question where the focus is going to be for that team and if Kirk Ferentz still has a control over that locker room or not. Uh, obviously, Purdue's going to be missing Jeff Brom, who got diagnosed with COVID-19. Uh, so his, I believe it's his brother, Brian Brom, um, who just recently feels like was playing college football yesterday is what it really feels like, um, is going to be taking over for this game so that's definitely an interesting one to watch yeah i i'm really curious to see how that all turns out and now that i'm in big 10 network country i could flip the game on who knows what i'm actually doing on saturday writing top 25 projections that's mainly it but that's that's how it always goes which you know kind of leads me to you know, I have a couple more things I really want to throw out there at you before we go to break. And the first one is, obviously the Buckeyes are the favorite in the conference once again here. I don't think anybody would be surprised to, to think about that. But do you think they, or, you know, if you think so, anybody else in this conference can go undefeated this year? Um and this is kind of a prelude to what we'll be talking about more in the next segment, but I'm really curious in terms of the Big Ten. Do you think the Buckeyes or 
whoever emerges on top can emerge undefeated. Yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely possible. I think Ohio State's obviously probably favored to do so, and the Buckeyes have um, remained number one in Bill Connolly's SP Plus ranking so far this year, despite not playing any games. But obviously he's bullish on Ohio State's chances uh, in terms of what they have coming back. So, yeah, I think Ohio State's got a good shot. I, I, I like Penn State a lot, too, if Micah Parsons had – not opted out of the season. I'd like them even better. Um, and then there's rumors going around. I saw on Twitter earlier on Monday that Journey Brown might be out for the season for Penn State because of a um, some kind of medical condition that got discovered this off season. Um, so obviously, wish the best for him. But yeah, I, I like the Buckeyes a lot. I think they've got a real good shot at running the table. Out of any of the teams that do, they probably do for sure. That's you know, it, it's hard to argue against any other team. But, you know, I think you look at a team like Minnesota, if they get past Michigan in this first game, either they or Wisconsin out west has a chance to run the table as well. Basically, whoever wins the battle for Paul Bunyan's axe. Because both of those teams avoided both Ohio State and Penn State in the regular season. So I think that could go a long way toward deciding things as well. At least, you know, we could see two undefeated teams in Indianapolis. Yeah, I mean, certainly, certainly possible, and that would be obviously a quarterfinal game for the college football playoff at that point. Well, that just, you know, that kind of uh, preempted my last question there, John, because, I, you know, I was going to ask, how, how do you think this election committee is going to look at a Big Ten champ? And, you know, I guess, obviously, if they're undefeated, as, as you said there, it's pretty much a play-in game. But say, you know, Ohio State loses one along the way and they're playing a one or two lost West champ. Do you think that they're going to get as much, you know, whoever emerges victorious is going to get as much love from the committee? Yeah, I mean, I, I think so if everything goes according to script for the Big Ten. And to me, that's the big if, right? The Big Ten has an eight-game schedule with absolutely zero margin for error. They're going eight straight weeks to get as many games as they can in to avoid um, you know, losing anything and being able to get finished on time to have a Big Ten title game and, and all that. So that's the big question. We've already seen so many games postponed so far this season. I don't know how realistic it is that the Big Ten is going to be able to play the play their regular season without these hiccups that we've seen from every other conference so far this year. So what happens to the Big Ten if, you know, they have a game that has to get postponed or canceled? You know, how many games does the Big Ten actually get in? I think that's the biggest question. Uh, that really has to be answered before we can really even think about what the committee will do. Because if they only get five or six games in, then one loss would be devastating. Yeah, when you really take it from that per percentage standpoint, there really is no room for error, either in terms of losing a game you know, to postponement or cancellation. It, it'd automatically be cancellation in the Big Ten's case because there's no space to make it up, as you said. And we've already seen 31 games, I, I believe, was the latest count I saw that have either been postponed or canceled. And I don't know how many total that's against, but you figure there's usually, you know, 40 to 50 games a week. And we've only had 78 teams playing now, so at most you could only have about 40 in a given week um, when you're including F FCS mashups. But even then, we haven't seen a ton of those lately. So you're probably getting more like 30 games a week with people, you know, teams taking buys. We're going into week seven. If we're generous and make it 40, that's 280 games we've seen played. And we've already seen 31 of those either postponed or canceled. And obviously, you know, some conferences have done a really good job of shuffling games around the schedule, you know, moving other teams up and allowing another game to be played in that place, and then they'll move the teams back, you know, the originally scheduled game back later. 
So they're they're figuring out workarounds. You know, we've seen it with the Sun Belt. We've seen it with um, uh, a couple of other you know conferences as well, just kind of shuffling things around. But at the same time, I mean, you look at a team like Houston, where BYU was only their second game, and. Um, you know, there was that moment where their game against Memphis was postponed because, you know, they went out and partied after the Arkansas State game, as college students are, are all too, you know, prone to do, and then rescheduled a game hastily to play Baylor, and then that game had to be canceled for this season, so... I think it was officially postponed, but I think, you know, that means they're going to play their home-and-home home series sometime before 2031. So, obviously doesn't help in 2020 at all. And that's where we're at right now, it, you know, with the Big Ten. I think you're absolutely right. The committee's only going to look at these teams in the same light if they get all eight games in, and then that ninth one on championship game weekend... But, uh, I, you know, given what you've seen so far, what do you think the odds are that that actually happens for the, the league champ? Yeah, I mean, I, it feels unlikely just based on what we've seen so far. So, I, you know, one of the ideas that's been thrown around by some other conferences is to play uh, kind of a full slate of games on championship weekend. You know, you got your two teams playing for the for your conference championship and then scheduling makeup games for that date if you know your team doesn't make it to the conference title game. So I mean that's possibly an option uh, for the Big Ten but that only helps so much. But the Big Ten already set up the the system where they're going to be playing one versus one, two versus two East oh, that's West. Right. So they can't even do that to get out of the situation. I mean that for any canceled games is going to have to come down to, you know, uh, winning percentage to figure it all out. So we could have a whole nice big mess on our hands at the end of the season. Yeah, absolutely. It's not that it's not as flexible because there's not as, there's not a uniformity, I guess, in terms of the NCAA, like we've seen from, you know, professional leagues like the NBA, NFL and stuff. The NFL can collectively choose to, extend the season by two weeks, push the playoffs back by two weeks, and nothing changes. Everybody just goes about their day. If the Big Ten says, oh, we need more time, then somebody's not just going to stop what they're wanting to do just to allow the Big Ten to get those games in. Not at all. Not at all. And so, you know, I think that's the big variable we have going into this, this opening weekend. And as of now, it sounds like certain teams, you know, um, are going to have some players out. That's just the way protocol goes. Um, and that's going to be the case for every team, Big Ten or otherwise, for the rest of the year. Because that's really what we've done, is we're, we're putting these kids' lives, you know, out there for our entertainment. It's a very utilitarian argument, um, where, you know, the needs of the many to watch football are outweigh the needs of the few students, quote-unquote, who are, you know, playing for our entertainment. I gotta get that rant in. I'm going to do it every goddamn week we, we talk, so stay tuned next Wednesday for it as well, everybody. But on that note, do you get, have anything else about the Big Ten you really want to say before we take an, our first break here, John? No, I mean, just excited to see uh, what the product looks like this year on the field, obviously. Um, you know, getting Ohio State and Penn State going will be huge for across the country. Because, man, I know the, the top 25 is looking kind of bare when you've got to look at some of these teams right now. I mean, last week, for I think the first time in like two years, I finally had every, every one of the 25 teams I projected in were actually in this week. So... We've really seen it kind of coalesce at this point around a few narratives, but this is going to just throw another wrench into the system. So, woohoo! <laughs> All right, everybody, on that note, let's take ourselves our first quick break here. 
stretch out those legs, get yourself something cold to drink, uh, pop that open. We'll be right back in a moment. Welcome back from the break to the Saturday Blitz podcast, everybody. We just finished up talking about the return of the Big Ten. But, you know, one question we had in there is, is does the Big Ten champion actually finish undefeated? And I think we just need to talk more broadly as well. Do we see, you know, anybody finish undefeated this year? With the shift toward conference-only schedules... There's less margin for error, especially because we don't have comparisons across conferences to really sort things out. But at this point, with the you know, with the Big Ten and the Pac-12 still yet to play, we only have four undefeated teams through the first seven weeks in the Power Five conferences. That's Clemson and Notre Dame in the ACC. Alabama, now that they've knocked out Georgia from those ranks, is the only one left in the SEC. And then in the Big 12, it's only Oklahoma State. So, um, you know, I think it's been, what, it's been since 2008, I think, since we've seen every major conference end its season with a champion that has at least one loss on its record. And I, I'm wondering, you know, 2020 is crazy enough already. Do you think we get to the end of this year without anybody having an, a, a goose egg in the loss column? No, I think that just looking at schedules, it's hard for me to see Clemson or Alabama losing the game in the regular season. Obviously, Alabama would be probably looking at a rematch with um, Georgia in the SEC championship game. If not Georgia, then probably Florida. Uh, and that would be potentially a competitive game. But then you look at Clemson, and it's just, when I watch Clemson every week, they look far and away like the class of the ACC. You know, they've already dominated Miami, who's one of the better teams in conference this year. They've still got Notre Dame on the schedule. Uh, and then, you know, the ACC championship game after that. It's just hard for me to see anybody really being competitive with Clemson in the ACC Um this year, and then I think Alabama probably runs the table in the SEC. I, you know, honestly, I'm looking at the SEC, and you see a lot of, you know, two lost teams at this point already. It, you know, you have Georgia and Florida there in the East who have one loss, and Texas A&M in the West is sitting with only one loss, the one, you know, they took to Bama. But I'm, you know, some teams that we thought were going to be at least somewhat better early, you know, we've seen kind of get punched in the mouth. And other teams that we thought were just going to be absolutely abysmal are, you know, they're fighting right back. And I mean, I I think about a team like Arkansas, who is 2-2 two yeah. two right now. Um, you look at the way Ole Miss played against Alabama, even in defeat, and that you know, for the longest time, could have gone either way. You know, I think I'm sure you were sweating a lot more than you would have liked to for that game. It it really makes you wonder. You know, on one hand, it just feels like a league of parity this year, and I think because it's the SEC only playing the SEC, that it, that risk of falling in just one game or having that flu kind of turn or having a team just play its best is that much bigger this year so I I you know I, I think you're right to say that it, I mean especially with Clemson with Alabama I hate to say it to you John because obviously you know I hate to say that to you as, as a friend but as somebody looking at it impartially there's still that risk there, and I think it's a very real risk to consider for, for the SEC. The ACC, obviously, you're 
probably right. I don't know who in the world is going to knock off Clemson at this point. They, you know, they've played one more game, but they're, you know, they're already outscoring a team like Notre Dame, the only other undefeated team in that conference, by 20 points a game, 25 points a game. Um, no, 18 points a game, sorry. But, you know, and, and their whole their defense is just about as stout when you look at it from per-game averages. They're both allowing 12 points a game. So, yeah, I don't think Notre Dame's going to do it. I think after last weekend, North Carolina has everybody a little bit suspicious now. NC State's kind of come out of the woodwork from nowhere as a team that might, you know, be worth consideration. And then, you know, you have Miami and Virginia Tech hovering back there, but I think by the end you could see Clemson and a lot of two or three loss teams behind them as, you know, well. Does Clemson slip in one of those? Probably not. We've seen them just dominate the ACC over the past few years, and I don't think that's going to change. But, you know... At this point, I'm rooting for chaos, I guess. You know, I you know, I kind of threw this question out this week as a, a guilty pleasure question. Like, you know how I feel about 2007 and, and the chaos that season brought. And, I mean, it's the same thing with 08, you know, the year that followed. Like I mentioned at the beginning of this segment, the last time we saw a season without an undefeated major conference champion so you know i i think it's going to take something to make it happen but i'm personally crossing my fingers and i you know i guess another question i'd ask just kind of stemming out of this is what does the committee do if the only undefeated team is say oregon or usc out west that has only played seven games but you know, they're undefeated and everybody else isn't. How do they seed around that? Do they give preference to, to a situation like that? Yeah, I mean, I talked about this earlier in the in the offseason when we first get into the season. You don't really envy being a college football playoff committee member this year because of all the variables that really present themselves. I have no idea how you judge that. I would just, I would judge an undefeated Oregon or USC very favorably, and I think that's obviously a playoff team when you look at it from that standpoint, unless you're talking about, you know, four other undefeated teams with great resumes, but I don't even think that's really possible at this point. So, yeah, I mean, I definitely don't envy that. And circling back for a second to your point about the SEC this year, I think there's just a lot of mediocrity across the league. Um, I think the issue is some of your traditional powers in the SEC per se, just aren't very good this year. Like, LSU's obviously taken a massive fall from where they were last year, and we kind of alluded to the potential of that in our SEC preview. You know, neither of us were really bullish on the Tigers' chances of any kind of repeat this season. And then Auburn looks really bad. They look like they've kind of fallen a bit from where they were last year as well. So, and, you know, I'd be remiss, too, if I didn't mention Arkansas like you did earlier. I don't know that there's a coach who's done a better job so far this year than Sam Pittman's done with the Razorbacks, just where that program was under Chad Morris the last two years, getting those guys to really believe in what he's preaching to them, despite him never even being a coordinator at this level. I think it's kind of incredible how he's got that team to really believe and fight, and there's so much. If you watched any Arkansas football this year, the biggest difference you can see is they are so much more well-coached than they were last year. A lot more disciplined. They fly to the ball. And honestly, Arkansas should probably be 3-1, and one, if we're being honest. I'm looking at the end of that Auburn game a couple of weeks ago and what probably should have been a backward lateral on a recovery by Arkansas to win that game. So they're that close to being probably the most surprising 3-1 and one I've ever seen. I knew you'd have to mention that game in there since we didn't get to talk last week. It needed to be done. And I think you're absolutely right that they could also be 3-1 and one and, and, you know, we could put an asterisk there and consider them that in a way. But what makes that so funny is right now, uh, 
Texas A&M is sitting at 3-1, and one, and they've allowed six more points than they've scored. You know, Auburn and Arkansas are right behind them at 2-2 two and two in the in the division, both of them have allowed at least 10 more points than they've scored. Um, defense is down this year in the SEC, and I don't know if it's just a matter of reduced practice times and the, you know, uh, reduction in contact in practice and everything else, it, but I think we've seen that across the board in college football as well. Just kind of sloppier defense, the ability for offenses to score more points. And it's made for some interesting dynamics this year. You know, teams that can capitalize, teams that can get stops, teams that are, you know, better coached given the circumstances are taking advantage of it. We even look at a team like... You know, I, I think about, like, South Carolina. They're 2-2 two and two right now. But, they you know, even those two losses, they had some real fight in those games. So, it, it, it's one of those, yeah, I think you're right. It's a lot of well-balanced teams. And given that there's, we're seeing less of those coaching advantages, I think teams that we expected to be worse can take advantage of good coaching. And teams that we would normally expect to be better for some reason have not and that's an interesting thing just across the board but I think again that sort of chaos allows for some some wrinkles to be thrown into the system and you know for any of these teams to have the chance to slip up you know I, I think even with you know we look at Alabama and right now they look like a well-oiled machine especially after that Georgia game but they didn't look that great against Ole Miss. Like, it was only toward the end that they finally pulled away. Um, and, you know, the the fact is they gave up more yardage than they ever have before in that game. It, it's, it's, a, it, it's just absurd across the board how defense has gone. Not, you know, not just to pick on the SEC, but especially in a place like the SEC that has long prided itself on defense. You know, this happens in the Big 12. We say, oh, that's Big 12 football. But when you start to see that happening in the SEC as well, and it'll be interesting as well to see how it plays out in the Big 10, you know, starting this weekend, I, I think we need to really look, you know, was did football really have the chance to get its feet under it you know, heading into this season. And I think the numbers show, at least for defenses, maybe not. Yeah, I think you're definitely right about it being an issue across the country, I think, that defense is just down. And I think when you talk about the SEC in this regard, too, I think the last several years we've seen the shift towards um, putting more money into the offensive side of the ball, hiring better offensive coaches, and really – you know, changing style from these old school smash mouth football squads to, you know, up tempo spread. You know, we started seeing it really with Gus Malzahn and Hugh Freeze kind of bringing that into the SEC. Um, and now pretty much everybody runs it at this point, and offenses are kind of jumping off the books because of it. So um, I, I definitely think offenses are up across the country the last couple of years, but, you know, I think the SEC is really you know, changed in that perception, really had a big swing to of the pendulum to the offensive side of the ball recently. So, but yeah, I, I think we'll definitely see it in the Big Ten some too um, with some slow goes from the defensive side of the ball. Everybody, like you said, not having all that much practice time, not having all the live tackling drills you would normally have all offseason has definitely had an effect. It, it, it's been fascinating to watch. It's just one of those things I want everyone out there to keep an eye on because I, I really think it has had an impact across the board. Which actually, you know, we talked about the ACC and the SEC, but the last team I want to get to is that Oklahoma State team. Obviously, this is, you know, to give you guys a teaser, this is a game we'll be talking about more in the next segment that, Iowa State, Oklahoma State game, but just looking at the Cowboys, you know they're three and zero right now. Um, 
and they're only allowing nine points a game, which is frankly absurd to hear from a Big 12 team. And I, I think the real question is, can they maintain that through the rest of their Big 12 schedule? Because if they can, they look more like a college football playoff team than a Big 12 team has in a while. And, you know, that's not to, to slight Oklahoma, but, you know, the teams that have actually won the championship have done it with dynamic offenses coupled with really rock-solid defenses. Um, Oklahoma has had that offensive side down, and it's allowed them to get into the Final Four, but I think to get to that next level, any team has to have that defense. And Oklahoma State looks right now like they have it, but, again, we're in a year where both Oklahoma and Texas are 2-2 two and two right now. Nobody saw that coming, and Oklahoma State's the only undefeated team left in this conference, and now that league's kind of hanging its hat on on the pokes. Do you think they, you know, um, they make it to the end of the season undefeated? Yeah, I mean, Oklahoma State's probably the Big 12's only hope at this point of a college football playoff team with both Oklahoma and Texas having two losses early on. Iowa State and Kansas State are undefeated in conference so far, but they both dropped games to Sunbelt teams, which is going to hurt their overall resume even if they went out from here. So, yeah, I mean, Oklahoma State certainly looks like the most well-balanced team in the Big 12 and the best overall team so far. And they're a team we were both really bullish on in the preseason, you know, because of all the talent they brought back. They brought back almost every starter defensively and just a ton of talent on the offensive side of the ball. So, you know, Spencer Sanders' health going forward is obviously a big deal for Oklahoma State. Um, I don't see them running the table. I think they've got um, some tough opponents coming up starting this week with Iowa State. Their defense has been really good so far, but they also haven't faced a truly dynamic offense in the early part of the season. You know, playing Kansas, West Virginia, um, and Tulsa so far this season. So, be interested to see how the defense holds up when they play the Texases of the world, the Oklahomas of the world, too. You know, maybe they're not traditionally strong powers like we think of with Texas and Oklahoma, but still two dynamic offenses that can really put up points in a hurry. It'll really be a big test for Oklahoma State. You're probably right about the Cowboys. I don't think they get to the end of the stretch without a loss on their record. But again, you know, I, I really think this is the season where just like 07, you know, when we saw so many different defeats where it was just like, this, there's no way this can possibly happen. And it just happened over and over and over again. We still have a lot of football to play, everybody. You know, it normally when we're in, you know, mid-October, when we're coming up on, you know, the penultimate weekend of October, you would expect that these narratives have shaken out by now. You know, we have our haves, we have our have-nots. But some conferences are only just returning. Others will be coming back in a couple of weeks still. They won't even be starting until November. Everything's been pushed back a couple of weeks. So November isn't that, you know, sort of that, that final hurdle yet. We still have a bit of football to play beyond that. So I... I, I'm remiss to say that we won't get the chaos that I want quite yet. When will it happen? I don't know. Honestly, it's probably not the team we expect if we're actually going to look at a schedule for each of these teams and say that's the one I expect to do it. But any given yeah. Saturday, things go crazy, right? Things go sideways. Absolutely. I mean, you don't... I don't think anybody before the... 2007 season we're saying it was going to be one of the craziest seasons in college football history it sneaks up on you that's the beauty of the sport you never know what's going to happen week to week i mean maybe we get another season like 1984 where the only undefeated team left standing is byu at this point 
it could certainly happen. <laughs> so, absolutely. Well, on that note, let's take one last quick break, everybody. And when we come back, we're going to get to some picks against the spread for week eight. So stay tuned. We'll be right back with you. for the final segment of this week's Saturday Blitz podcast, everybody. We've been talking hypotheticals about what might happen in 2020 in terms of teams making it to the end of their regular seasons undefeated. But, you know, we need to get a little bit more granular now because we do have some interesting games coming up in Week 8. A lot of interesting games, obviously, with the return of the Big Ten as well. But I, I think we should just dive right into these, John. I'm especially because, you know, I think the first game we have is pretty much an ACC eliminator. You've got NC State heading over to Chapel Hill to play their, you know, their rival, North Carolina. And at this point, this is going to be a great matchup of ranked teams. You had... Uh, North Carolina falling to 14 after their shocker, and NC State boosted up to number 23 after they won last week. Um, so the the Wolfpack is a 16 and a half point underdog in this one. Do you think that they cover that spread, John? Yeah, it feels a bit too high for a rivalry game of ranked teams. Obviously, Vegas is pretty skeptical of NC State uh, so far this season. But, man, North Carolina really hasn't looked quite as good as I think a lot of people expected them to this year. Some early season struggles, um, some ugly wins, and then, you know, obviously falling flat against Florida State, watching the Knowles get off to a huge lead this past week, and then kind of really fighting back at the end to, to have a shot. But... You know, I I think 16.5 in this kind of game is too much. I think NC State's got some offensive firepower that we've seen so far this year. Um, Devin Leary's been really strong for them at quarterback. Um, I think in North Carolina wins, but I think it'll be a little closer than anybody really thinks because I think the Tar Heels, you know, got to feel a little demoralized after that loss uh, last week to Florida State. And I think they're going to sleepwalk through the first quarter of this game, fall behind, come back and win, but I think by about a touchdown. I'm thinking something like 38-31. That feels about right. You know, I, I think you're probably right that we've overestimated North Carolina. I don't think that they were ever really a top-five team. I think it's more a consequence of... You know, there's a subset of like 10 to 15 pollsters who just aren't voting for any team at this point unless they've started playing in the AP and coaches polls. And so that's depressed rankings and it's allowed a team like North Carolina to vault up. 14 feels like a much more solid place for this Tar Heels team to be ranked. And at the same time, you know, North Carolina State's been a, a pleasant surprise. I, I think you're absolutely right offensively. They've, they've been a, a pleasant surprise, whereas North Carolina, you know, after the what what's kind of a deceptive victory against Syracuse, you know, in retrospect, the fact that they only won by 25 over Syracuse should have told us something. Um, and, you know, in the following weeks, they only won by four at Boston College. They had that, that crazy game with Virginia Tech where everybody was just running all over the field. Um, but, you know, they allowed 45 points to Virginia Tech in that game. You know, it had to become an offensive shootout in that regard. Sam Howell has had something of a sophomore slump this year, and... Well, I think you're right. This is the kind of game where the Tar Heels get their feet back under them. They're back at home. Um, you know, they can get comfortable in their own environment. 
but I, I, I think you're right. I think 16 and a half is a ridiculously large amount to give. This game doesn't feel like it gets to double digits. I see the lead changing several times even. You said 38-31. I think that's probably a fairly fair estimation of how this game ends up. Um, you know, maybe I'll say 41-38 just to be a little contrarian. But I, I think it ends up going pretty much down to the wire here. Maybe... You know, the Tar Heels get up by 10, and NC State is able to charge back for a late touchdown to get it close, and then misses the onside kick to allow the Tar Heels to run out the clock. So a fun game, nonetheless. Oh yeah, definitely. I think if you're tuning into that game, you're not going to be disappointed with the, the spectacle of it, for sure. Um, if you're a partisan fan, you might or might not be disappointed with the result, but... That's college football. And speaking of college football, the next game we have to talk about this week is one that's near and dear to your heart, John. Um, normally this would be the third Saturday in October. It doesn't always land that way, obviously. We're in the fourth Saturday in October. Um, but Alabama, Tennessee, the tide head to Neyland Stadium, um, playing on Rocky Top. We saw the Volunteers pretty much collapse last week. Uh, and, you know, now Alabama comes into this as a 21-and-a-half-point favorite. Do you think... I mean, I, I think Alabama wins this game. I don't think either of us are going to argue otherwise here. But do you think they cover that spread at three touchdowns? Yeah, I think I'll be right around there. I think that what we'll see is Tennessee driving at the end of the game with a chance to cover that spread is what it kind of feels like to me. Uh, Alabama will probably have like a 24 to 27 point lead late in the game, and Tennessee will have a shot to, to score a touchdown at the end to potentially cover. So I don't think the game will ever be in doubt. Obviously, Tennessee's got to come out motivated off back-to-back -back losses, particularly just the really disheartening performance against Kentucky this past week. Four turnovers in that game really killed them. If they turn the ball over four times this week, then Alabama might double that spread um, over the ball. So we know how explosive Alabama's offense is this year, putting up 41 points last week on a Georgia defense. That's probably one of the best in the country. Feeling like they could do anything they want to do for most of that game. So, you know, obviously Jerry Pruitt knows this Alabama team well. He'll have a good game plan. They'll come out and fight hard. But it's hard for me to see the Bulls being super competitive in this one. I think Alabama wins. I'll say they cover the spread that late uh, drive by Tennessee. I was talking about comes up just short, maybe an interception in the end zone in the game. Yeah, I, I, I think that's, that's probably fair to see. I... I on one hand, I'm inclined to say that Alabama just comes out kind of pissed off and just womps. And, you know, I'm looking at the larger stats for these two teams, and both of them have allowed around the same number of points. Um, Alabama, through four games, has given up 115 points, so they're coughing up about 28 points a game. And Tennessee is giving up 117 points, so also just over 28 points a game. But the difference is Alabama is scoring 25 full points more per game than Tennessee. Uh, you know, the Vols' defense has done what they need to do to keep them competitive in games. And quite frankly, Tennessee's offense just isn't there. And... Well, I think Tennessee's defense can get some stops. I don't think it's just going to be something where Mac Jones lights it up and, and you see all three of the big-name receivers go for 100-plus yards uh, and multiple touchdowns and, and all that hurrah. I, I think it's one of those games where Tennessee's once again going to be betrayed by their offense. And Al Alabama will score enough times. I see like a... I mean, honestly, I see this like a 35-10 game, which I guess would mean that they do cover. And, you know, it could very well be that that 7-point that 
you know, the touchdown that Tennessee manages to score is either a defensive touchdown or a special teams return touchdown. Uh, because I just, I, I don't think, I think Alabama's defense is going to come out just really ready to show that they can just totally dominate a team for four quarters. Um, and yeah, I think Tennessee gets a few stops, but they're not going to get nearly enough for an offense that just can't get out of its own way. So sorry if I jinxed your team this week by just totally over-talking them up. Yeah, I know. I see what you're trying to do. You're going to be sweating down to the end so that you win with your pick, and, and we're not confident enough in them to, to just really go go to town on the balls. And, you know, if, if I win this, you know, week, you're going to be happy with the end result anyway. So This is true. You know, I'll see you happy either way. So cheers to that. Moving on to our third game. Let's uh let's go to Big Twelve country. We alluded to this in the last segment. Um, the big game this weekend is between two of the the conference leaders. Iowa State and Oklahoma State are two of the only three undefeated teams in Big Twelve play left. Um, Iowa State is now back in the rankings again after they fell out from their loss to Louisiana, and. You know, I think, you know, we've got a game where it's number six hosting number 17, and yet Iowa State is only a four-point underdog on the road. Do you think that the odds makers are downplaying what Oklahoma State could do in this game? Do you think that Iowa State has a legitimate chance to pull off the upset here? How do you think things play out in Stillwater? Yeah, I think this is a really interesting game. I think Iowa State really needs Brock Purdy to be flawless, to really have a legitimate shot um, in Stillwater. I think the difference is going to be up front on the offensive line for Oklahoma State. When Iowa State lost a season opening game to Louisiana, they were really bullied up front. It felt like on both sides of the ball, Louisiana won that game in the trenches. And that's a strength for Oklahoma State, obviously a really strong offensive line. Chuba Hubbard behind them running, and then their defensive line's been really, really good so far this year. So I think the difference in this game is going to come down to the trenches. This will be a more low-scoring uh, Big 12 game than I think we're really used to seeing because both teams are capable on the defensive side of the ball. Um, I think that Oklahoma State does ultimately cover that spread, but it's close. Like 27-21 pokes. 27-21 pokes, okay. Well, we're definitely not agreeing much this week, John, and I love it because I think this is the week that Oklahoma State drops out of the ranks of the undefeated. I really do. Um, it, it feels like Iowa State has always been a good thorn in Oklahoma State's side. We saw that back in, what was it, oh nine when Oklahoma State had nearly went to the uh, BCS championship. 2011. 2011. I, okay, I'm not quite that old yet, everybody. Jesus. Thank you. Yeah, you would know all too well. That was the Alabama LSU year, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah, exactly. Okay, thank you. Now that we're on that page. But yeah, you know, we have precedent for this. And I think, you know, as you said, Brock Purdy needs to have a good game. But I think Brees Hall is going to be really jacked up to prove that he's, you know, just as good a running back in the Big 12 as Hubbard, um, who has split some of his carries up among some other players on the team. He hasn't had to do nearly as much for Oklahoma State this year. Um, but I think Brees Hall has a big game, kind of exposes that Oklahoma State defensive line a little bit. Um, is able to get to the second level and get some big gains. And we, you know, I think it does stay low, as you said, but I see this one going like 28 24 Iowa State. Awesome. I think, I think we'll definitely see a really good game. So it'll be interesting to see um, which one of us is right on this. And now, now we're going to see a blowout one way or the other, now that we've both talked about it being, you know, sort of a, a thriller. 
Yeah, it's only fitting. Only fitting, everybody. So, you know, keep an eye on the scoreline, at least, with that one. Seriously, though, tune-in is probably going to be a good game. Second to last game we have on our docket, we need to go to Big Ten country. And we mentioned this in the opening segment, and I think this is certainly the best game in Big Ten country this week. Um, Michigan is heading to Minneapolis as a three-and-a-half-point favorite against the Golden Gophers. And, you know, you talked about this being a game that could be on upset alert in that opening segment, and I'm curious, do you think that P.J. Flex team rose the boat to victory this week? Yeah, I mean, I actually really do. I really like Minnesota in this game. Um, at home, I think they have a ton of talent. On the offensive side of the ball, coming back, obviously, led by Tanner Morgan at quarterback. I think they've got a lot of talent on that side of the ball. I think they'll be a real thorn in Michigan's side. And with the Wolverines breaking in a new quarterback, I wonder if they're going to be able to do enough defensively to keep that quarterback in the game. We have obviously haven't seen a lot of dynamic offenses out of the Wolverines over the last few years. So I think Minnesota actually wins this game outright. And it's a, a mini upset to open the big 10 slate and real demoralizing for Harbaugh. Yeah. I don't think this one's even close, John, you know, you look at that Michigan team and beyond the quarterback, they they're the 119th ranked team in offensive returning production the 110th ranked team in the FBS in returning defensive production, 125th overall out of 130 teams. Harbaugh has a rebuild on his hands there in Ann Arbor. They are just completely green this year. And you compare that to what is coming back for the Gophers, and I don't even know how Vegas has... I mean, I don't know if this is just a boost betting or whatnot that they've pushed the spread this far to Michigan's favor. Um, but it, it's absurd. I see this one like forty-one seventeen Minnesota. Like I don't, I, I don't think it's even close. I, I think by halftime, Minnesota's up double digits. Yeah, it's one of those very suspicious spreads. Like, I want to put money on Minnesota, but I don't want to get got, I guess. But I really feel like this is one that is solely placed that way because public money is going to be on Michigan basically with any spread when you're talking about a season opening game like this. Yeah, I, I think that's almost undoubtedly what's happening there. Because by all rights, this should be, you know, if I was setting the spread in a, you know, a world that had, you know, that wasn't sliding based on, on the bets. I, you know, I'd have this like four or five points Minnesota. And, you know, now I'm really curious. I'm going to go look quick. What was the opening line on this to have, you know, gone to this point? It opened, it really hasn't moved at all. It opened with Minnesota plus three. So... You know, the fact that it's up to three and a half, I think, is, yeah, that's a, a freaky game. But, yeah, I, I, I think Minnesota definitely beats that spread. I think they beat Michigan. I think they beat Michigan handily to open up this season. I have no confidence in a team like Wisconsin getting to cakewalk through the Big Ten West this year. I really do think Minnesota's that team to push them to the brink. So, Man, imagine the Michigan message boards if they get blown out by Minnesota to open the season. I know our editor at Saturday Blitz, Connor Muldowney, will be very happy to see that if it happens. Uh, loyal Spartan that he is. Uh, but, you know, we'll hear about that on his own podcast and his ability to rankle his Michigan fan friend. But, you know, what, what, let's leave that aside for now, because um, that'll be fun to hear when it actually happens. But the last game I want to talk about this week is, is really the best game that's happening in the group of five for sure this week. It's Cincinnati at SMU um, could very well be a prelude to the American Athletic Conference championship game. 
you know, we talked about uh, undefeated teams around the country, and when you get down to it, this is an elimination game of its own that's going to knock out one of, you know, the two preeminent group of five teams from the ranks of the unbeaten. And Cincinnati is heading to SMU as a two-and-a-half-point underdog. Um, despite the fact that SMU has lost a, you know, a couple of key parts in TJ McDaniel and uh, Reggie Roberson on, on offense uh, to injuries where they're out for the season. So at this point, I, I'm really curious, do you think it, it, you know, the fact is they're playing in Dallas, Cincinnati hasn't had to leave Ohio yet, or, you know, the comfortable environs of Nippert Stadium, do you think that the Bearcats are able to pull this one off on the road? Do you think it's even an upset if they win on the road? This very interesting could be the most interesting game of the entire weekend. To be honest, when you look at this, you got two contrasting styles. Uh, obviously, SMU's got the high-powered offense, particularly through the air with Shane Bouchelle, and then Cincinnati's a defensive-minded team taking on, you know, the personality of their head coach and Luke Fickle. My concern here um, is that I don't think Cincinnati has enough offensively to keep pace with SMU. You know, I wonder if Desmond Ritter, if this game. If SMU is able to put some points on the board, can Desmond Ritter respond? Will he be able to keep pace with Bouchelle and that SMU offense, you know, through the air to keep Cincinnati in this game? That's that's where it is. Cincinnati is going to want to try to control the clock, and they, you know, they have the added advantage. They've been sitting for two weeks. They've been able to kind of focus on SMU prep and stuff like that with two straight weeks off after a postponement. So I, I like SMU here. I think this game gets a little bit high, more higher scoring than Cincinnati hopes for, and SMU ends up winning uh, by 10 points. I like it um, 41-31 Mustangs, and they take a, a real big step towards a potential uh, automatic burst into the New Year's Six. I, I like that pick, honestly. We're going to agree just to wrap everything up here because – I, I, I think you're absolutely right. Well, Cincinnati has a defense that can get some stops. Bouchelle is, is just too good a quarterback to let that stop him. And Cincinnati, you know, with Ritter, with Jared Dokes in the backfield, they just, they, they don't have that one just knockout punch. You know, they don't have that Michael Warren in the backfield who can just, you know, right. totally hit you time and time again until you're you're dropped to the canvas. SMU obviously even with the players that they have lost, losing a McDaniel in the backfield, losing a guy like Reggie Roberson again, you know, it's such a shame to lose such an eclectic talent at wideout two years in a row before the, the regular season's over. But, you know, that said, Bouchelle is a good enough quarterback that he can make some receivers look really good. And in turn, SMU has a lot of talent at the wideout position that they can, they, they in turn make Bouchelle look good. So, yeah, this one's going to be like 51-20. I, I think this is SMU asserting themselves this week. I'm just going to go out on an absolute limb. And, yeah, by the end of this weekend, even with the Mountain West coming back, SMU will undoubtedly look like the team to beat in the group of five race. Man, you're expecting a boring weekend. Lots of blowouts. You know, I have... I have to at least be a little contrary in that way because I know I'm going to be wrong in some way, and I hope for everybody's sake it's just that the games are closer than I'm calling them. I like it. Trying, trying something new. Yeah, you know, you, you, you put your jinxes on things in different ways, and maybe this is my way this week. We're gonna, we'll, we'll try it this week and see what happens for everybody. Um, you know, if you all get results that you want to see and, and these games are all just down-to-the-wire thrillers, you can thank my shitty picking. So, cheers to... Accountability, folks. Cheers to that. So, 
hopefully I'm wrong and you guys all get to enjoy out there. And, you know, if I come back next week and gloat, you know, it was kind of a snore of a week. Better than nothing. Better than nothing. Any final thoughts before we hit the road for this week, John? No, just, you know, looking forward to, to seeing the Big Ten back and uh, getting to watch some late-night college football, too. We didn't talk enough about the Mountain West coming back, and we actually have some games that are going to be starting for you past, what, 10.30 Eastern time, so it'll feel... It'll actually feel like a real college football weekend for probably the first time. Yeah, you know, it's interesting as well from that, that standpoint of the top 25 projections. I, I I think pollsters are probably going to wait a couple of weeks on a team like, say, Boise State before they really start to push them up high enough that they get into the top 25 proper. But, I, you know, I think they beat Utah State this week and... Oh, I forget who they're even playing in Week 9. But, you know, they win those first couple games. They're just going to throw another wrinkle into the equation. Or, you know, if we see some surprise team emerge out of the Mountain West, they're going to throw a wrinkle in there as well. This whole season is nothing but wrinkles, though. We've been wrinkled since the off-season and the summer when we were wondering whether we'd even be here to begin with. So... Let's take what we can. True. So, yeah, all of you out there, um, you know, stay safe. Continue following protocols. If you're going to stadiums, please be responsible. Don't be, don't become a meme, I guess I would say. You know, do the, do the right things and you're just a boring face in the crowd. Don't become a meme because that means you're probably not doing something the way that protects all of us as college football fans. Let's care for the community because, you know, we're always stronger together. Um, and in a year where so many of us aren't even, you know, don't even have the opportunity to get into the stands, if you are in a, a locale where you are going to games in person, please do it responsibly. On that note, We'll be back with you next Wednesday for another edition of the Saturday Blitz podcast. Until then, uh, it's been great getting to talk with you all. It's great talking to you always, John. And uh, let's do it again next time. <laughs>